Greetings and salutations to everybody out there in podcast land. This is the Judo Chop Suey Podcast. And I'm your host, Judo Dave Roman. Wishing you a very happy New Year's. I hope you had a great, uh, safe New Year. I hope you had a great holiday. I hope you all managed to find the hot tea that seemingly Mariah Carey could not find on New Year's Eve. I just want to take a sip of tea if they'll let me. They told me there would be tea. Oh, it's a disaster. Okay, well, we'll just have to rough it. I'm going to be just like everybody else with no hot tea. Good Lord. The only thing missing from that was her calling everybody there, you people. Anyway, where was I? Oh, yeah. And I wish you the very best with this upcoming new year on and off the mats. On this episode, I have a very special guest co-host, and I'm going to be doing something throughout this year that I've not really done before. I've done interviews in the past on this podcast, but I have never really had a guest co-host apart from uh, Judo Joe Kaiser. But what I want to do this time around, I want to have coming up on this year guest co-hosts that are listeners. I think that would be a lot of fun. Uh, It doesn't have to be just listeners, but I definitely want to change the format every once in a while and and have, uh, uh, you know, listeners come on. And instead of being interviewed, you guys can help me, you know, we can discuss whatever's on our minds. And this is going to be the first of hopefully many coming up in this year. My guest co-host for this episode is a Mr. Cody Stray. He is not only a listener, but he is the host of the Cody Jitsu podcast. It's a podcast that I've talked about and referenced several times on previous episodes, and I'm very excited to have him on. So, Cody, welcome to the Judo Chop Suey podcast. Good evening, Cody. How you doing today? Hey, pretty good, Dave. How are you, man? I'm excellent. Thank you very much for joining me on this podcast. I'm very, very excited to have you on. It's 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 been something that I've been thinking about to do for, for quite some time because I... You know, you got the uh, the original judo podcast, and James Austin, I think, does a fantastic job with interviews. So he's got that part of the judo-centric podcasting covered. I can't do a better job than him, but I figured maybe instead of doing interviews that I could have guest co-hosts. So I would like to congratulate you for being my first guest co-host that's not a friend, a family member. You know, so you're my first listener as a guest co-host. So I really appreciate you taking the time to come on. So how's uh, how's everything been going for you during this holiday break? Well, first off, it's an honor uh, to be the first one. And everything's been going great. I got some decent Christmas gifts and my cats are healthy. So I can't ask for more. <laughs> Very nice. And I, you know, I've never told you this. so I'm going to tell you this right now. I love cats. And I, I, li- <laughs> I live vicariously through your photos and through anybody else's that, that have cats because I cannot have cats. I've got, uh, I've got uh, a couple of my children are deathly allergic to cats, like lit- almost literally. And I, I, had to, I had to give – I had to rehome the cats that I had. I had uh, – at one point I had four cats and had to um, find homes for each one of them. So I, I cannot have cats in my home, so – I've seen pictures of your, your cat. Um, I, I think they're they're awesome. Oh, awesome, man. I'm glad you like them. Uh, they're really neat um, animals. I, I've never had cats. I've been a dog guy for most of my life. And cats, 100% grapple. They're boring grapplers. I, I yep. seem, 
I have, I have three of them, and my biggest one, he's a male, and he beats up the two females, and he does Koshi Garuma like no other. <laughs> you, you would lose your mind. It's amazing. And he puts them right on the head. I don't let him do it on the hardwood floor, only on the carpet. Oh, that, that's too much. That's too much. So for for my listeners who co- tune into the Judah Chop Suey podcast, you are also a podcaster. You are the host of the Cody Jitsu podcast. Tell me a little bit about what you do on that podcast and why you started that, that podcast and what, what your goals or what your reasons for doing that. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to. Um, so I originally started it from Reddit. Uh, a lot of people would ask questions, like a lot of white belts or like even like experienced people like blues, purples, and sometimes browns. And I noticed that they would ask about strength and conditioning, uh, lifestyle stuff for just pure discussion, and then also takedowns. So I really wanted to contribute back to the community that I feel I'm a part of, which is on Reddit and the jujitsu community. So I started a podcast originally just to answer some questions. It was kind of like a Q&A for strength and conditioning. And then my co-host, Mac, and I, we, we started to really, really enjoy it. And selfishly, and I, I say this without shame at all, uh, selfishly, now I only do the podcast for me. I, I do guests that I want to have on. Sure. Um, I talk about topics that I want to talk about because that way nothing feels forced ever. I'm able to just do it because I want to do it. I don't have to worry about covering a topic and being like, oh, I sounded fake. I sounded dumb. No, I, I just do it right when I want to do it. Yeah, kind of like today. We, we worked on a day that we wanted to talk about judo and jujitsu. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, I think that's, that's really cool. And it's, it's funny that you talk about it that way because that's, that's over the past year I've been doing this podcast. It's, it's kind of morphed into into that for myself. I talk about what I want to talk about. And there are some subjects that I, I would, I wish I had more time to research and talk about. And I I just don't. Um, so I cover, I, I try and have a variety as much as I can. I end up talking about a lot of high level competition because that does interest me from a spectator standpoint. I wish I could get more into Kata and more into, into the history of judo. And I, and I will, it's just, those those subjects take a lot more time for me to prepare a podcast for. So I'm curious as a fellow podcaster, do you find it a pretty easy process or or is it something is it something more than you expected? Um kind of both to be honest. So when I originally started it, I was really confident that I could handle the technical aspects of setting it all up. I'm kind of a nerd. So that came really easy. There were some sure. small hiccups, but overall it wasn't bad. Uh, the difficult part, uh, kind of like what I was talking about before, was forcing conversations that I didn't want to have. Like, I, I can't tell you how many scrapped podcasts I have of either just me talking or me talking with uh, just some local guests that I'm friends with anyways. And it just sounds so bad and so fake that I decided not even to put stuff out because I don't want to put out a bad product, whatever I put out there, I want someone to listen to it and gain something. Even if they learn something that they don't like from listening to the podcast, like maybe they, from my perspective or from my insight, rather they learn they don't like BJJ and they would rather only do judo or they learn they might not like wrestling from the way I describe it. Even if they just learn stuff like that, or they learn like not 
that, that they don't like my style of podcasting, anything like that. I, I just want to make a good product that doesn't sound fake. Sure. That's the biggest thing I want to just get away from is I've, I've listened to a lot of podcasts. I've been listening to podcasts for probably almost 10 years now. And everyone that I listen to usually just free balls it. And maybe they have some small notes to just kind of glance over, but nothing ever sounds fake. Whenever something sounds fake, I immediately just turn it off because it, it, it's a bore. I feel like I'm being lied to. I want to have an authentic conversation or at least hear one. And I want to be able to enjoy it. I, I feel like that stimulates that part of my brain. Whereas if it's a fake conversation, it, it just doesn't sound enjoyable, man. I can't get into it. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. I, you know, when I, when I do my episodes, I, I kind of envision I'm trying to make some, you know, one of my good friends laugh basically. And I, I, it's taken me a while to kind of get a, get a feel for what I think works. I mean, I, I, I get pretty good reaction from people, uh, yourself included. You, you tend to listen to the episodes that I put out there, uh, from time to time. And, and, um, but I, I hear just saying, I, I try and you did, that's why I talk a lot about things going on in my life and things that interest me about judo because it when I start talking even though I do a lot of preparation for the things I want to talk about but at the end of the day I I don't read things verbatim it, it is it is coming from the heart so I definitely hear you there um so now moving on, I, oh I appreciate that yeah cuz like <laughs> you know I I I do try uh, believe it or not and I I know my podcast not for every for everybody I've certainly seen uh, a few of the neg negative reviews out there but overwhelmingly it's it's been pretty positive and I'm glad that people you know take something away from it even even if it's just a laugh and I I do have a few people who listen that don't even do judo at all believe it or not or, or jujitsu they just they, they kind of, they found it and they tune in. So I, I'm, I'm always appreciated. So I, I try and cover, you know, have a little something for everybody, even those who may not even train at all or, or never done it. So I, which is kind of interesting how that's worked out. Well, I see it like this, Dave. Um, when you listen to a podcast, you're having a one-way conversation with somebody, but you're still having a conversation. Whether or not, if you want to admit that it's a conversation, you're conversing with that person. It's just that you're the you're just listening. You're only receiving. There's no giving, and it's almost like you're building a relationship with that person. Like you and I, we've talked on Reddit. We're pals. Yeah. But at the same time, your voice is not unfamiliar because I've been listening to it for maybe like a, a year now it's not an unfamiliar voice i hear it i'm like yeah there's judo dave roman right, right. So I, I get what you, you know <laughs> yeah and that's that's the other thing too when it because solo podcasting it's funny because i i hang out on the on the podcast subreddit um as well and i read subjects there almost everybody does a two two person or more podcast and I, there's not too many solo podcasters out there so my when i try and record it's 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 basically trying to build a having a relationship with the person on the other side, you know, listening in. And I, that, that's what I try and do. And I think I, I've gotten better over the past year with that. At, at first it was a rough going, but um, I'm finding my groove. Well, it, it's hard. I, I give you a lot of props for doing it. I've tried to do, I think I only have one solo podcast out there, but I'm trying doing a couple of them. And I just end up hating it. I, I like that two-way conversation piece. I feel like I can't maintain conversation with myself, but you do it really well. I like it. <laughs> I appreciate that. So tell me a little. Now, I know you are a purple belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and an EQ in Judo. Is that correct? 
Yeah. Yep. Tell me a little bit about um, your Brazilian. What got you into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? I'm I'm curious because I I've talked. I I like hearing the story on how people get into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and I don't know if you realize this. Um, my grappling uh, story started off with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I was not a judo guy at first, so I'm kind of curious what got you into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Man, I it's kind of. A- Strange. I, I don't even know. So I, I did boxing from when I was a little kid until I was a young adult, uh, just like partway through college. And I eventually just got burnt out on it. Um, I did like the Junior Olympics and the Silver Gloves. And then I just kind of stopped and then only did it recreationally and then just stopped doing it recreationally. And yeah. I didn't train anything for a while. And I started listening to the Joe Rogan podcast. Uh, ah, I, had, okay. I had a friend who was part of that uh not really a hippie, but but that like new age crowd. And he was really big into Rogan. And he's like, dude, you should do jujitsu. You boxed for so long. You would like this jujitsu stuff that Rogan's talking about. I didn't know who Rogan was. I was like, it's not like the fear factor guy yeah. that, that <laughs> does the thing. That, that's all I knew about him. And so I started listening and I was like, wow, you know, he's really talking a lot about jujitsu. And I started learning more about Rogan. And I'm like, okay, well, he's not like a phony martial arts guy because in the past I'd only like I said I, I did boxing and I'd wrestle with friends for fun and I thought that anything with ranks and that was in a gi or a kimono was just kind of lame or fake and not real um right yeah you know I just had that impression and then from Rogan I got into an MMA gym uh in 2013 yeah 2013 I started and I only did no gi MMA from 2013 to 2014 and then I finally found like a gi Brazilian jiu-jitsu gym and I decided to just dive right in and I've been kind of obsessed with it since then um the reason that I wanted to start it though uh was because Rogan always talked about how how on the ground it things were so different than standing right and I I'd, I'd never gotten like kind of like beat up on the ground until I started at this MMA gym and then I started at the MMA gym and I remember her name's Moriel, and I'm pretty sure she's a pro MMA fighter now. And she whooped me, man. It wasn't even with strikes. Just uh, she swept me from guard, got on top of me, had mount. I went belly down to get up. As I got up, she put me rear naked, and that was it. And something clicked. I was like, oh, wow. Imagine if she was not only – imagine she was male, and then imagine she was bigger than me, and then imagine she wanted to hit me. And I would have been dead because I had no idea what to do. Um, so, so that opened my eyes huge. And then I just got obsessed from there. Very cool. Very cool. Now, what about, now, what about judo? How long have you been doing judo? And I, and I know, I, from what I understand, it's been about uh, a couple of years now, two years or so, maybe longer. And, and what, what, how, how long have you been doing judo? And what about, uh, how did you get into that? So th- this is a hard question to answer. Um because I, I did Brazilian jiu-jitsu, started Brazilian jiu-jitsu, like MMA stuff in 2013. And like I said, I started training all the time, getting obsessed with it. I started Gi Brazilian jiu-jitsu in 2014. But um, I came from a gym and lineage that heavily emphasized stand-up. They, they didn't necessarily have good tachiwaza, but they had the grips figured out. Uh, and, and they had good wrestling and they had basic koshiwaza and basic ashiwaza, nothing beyond a sankyu level. But so I, I was doing a lot of stand-up in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I, I guess you could say I started actually 
studying judo in January of it'd be 20, 2017. Yeah, that that that's that sounds sounds about right. I guess that was when I actually got in with a bunch of judo people. So yeah, January twenty seventeen. But I was messing around with all different types of tachi waza way sure. before that because I was doing it in the gi and Brazilian Brazilian jiu jitsu. Um, I I guess I was kind of an anomaly because right when I started gi Brazilian jiu jitsu, I also wanted to do judo because it was offered in the town over. But I, I just couldn't commit to the times. But I thought judo had its merits too because my MMA instructor had shown me stuff like uchimadas from an overhook. Just real basic. But yeah. it worked, you know. Um, so it, it's hard to say when I started judo, but I didn't actually start it officially and call myself someone who's now doing judo the art until January of 2017. So, so right in the beginning of this year. Yeah, I, I guess that's... It sounds crazy to say, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I just took to it pretty quick once I actually started studying the art of it. Yeah, sure, sure, very cool, very cool. Now, who is your Brazilian jiu-jitsu instructor and who is your uh, judo instructor? Are they the same guy? I no, no. Um, so, so I'm I'm pretty different from a lot of people in the way that I have my own gym. Um, the judo program obviously is very much in its infancy. Our Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu program has been around for a long time. And my Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu instructor is Michael Ellison. He's a Hika Machado uh, second-degree black belt over in Hudson, Wisconsin. It's kind of by the Twin Cities. And then my Judo uh, instructor is in the opposite direction. Um, It's Aaron Stinsky, who's – he's much like you. He's been a Shodan forever, except I think he was an EQ. He was an EQ for 16 years, and then he earned his Shodan – so Aaron Stinsky and then Rick Olstead as well uh, trains with Aaron. Rick, he's either seventh or eighth Don. I, I don't remember which, uh, but Rick was a big time wrestler. Um, so he loves my way of looking at judo in sure. the way that I respect the rules, but at the same time, I, I don't train them. If if I want to train the art of judo, I want to train it with leg grabs. Not to say I'm sitting there shooting doubles and singles from way way far across the room wrestler style but if i'm trying to do an uchimata and you're countering i should be able to pick your ankle that's my interpretation of a leg grab it it should still be judo um so those are my judo instructors and they're over in madison wisconsin edgerton to be exact how far is that from where you live currently i i don't i don't know the geography of wisconsin very well other than where where it is on a map oh yeah um so i'm pretty much in central wisconsin almost right in the center so it's three hours north if I want to visit Mr. Mike Ellison, wow. and it's three hours south if I want to visit uh, Mr. Aaron and Mr. Rick. Yeah. So how'd you get how'd you get affiliated with them? Like, cause like cause I mean, Florida's a pretty big state. I, I would I would personally not have a judo instructor that was in Miami from Tampa. That I couldn't do that. Yeah, it was kind of a weird process. Um, so I I've always messed around with Tachi Waza since I've trained in the gi. And even when I was training Nogi, I was, I was messing around with Ashiwaza a lot. And so Aaron was visiting family or something in my area on a night that I was, I had an open mat at my gym. So he popped in and he was telling me that he's a blue belt in BJJ and he's a Shodan in Judo. And I'm like, oh, Judo. Okay, cool. Well, I've been working on this. And at the time I was working on setting up an Oochigari into a Koochigari. Sure. And he, he helped my technique and he's like well why don't you train why don't you actually train judo 
and I, I, I to stop right told him, like, there's really nowhere to train it that fits my schedule. There, there's a neighboring town that's an hour away, but it's only twice a week. And it, it's when I'm working, it, it just doesn't work. And he's like, okay, well, tell you what, uh, if you come visit me, I'll come visit you. It, it's a two and a half, three hour drive. We'll just kind of do this every couple of months and just refresh it and send me videos and all of that. Um, and then we'll get you going. So that's what we've been doing. And that was that that was in the middle of 2016 and then i actually became a like kind of like affiliated with them like le legitimately saying that i'm linearly underneath aaron and rick and that was in january of 2017 when we actually formed the affiliation between our schools and it wasn't just me talking to them privately right right so you have so you are an instructor at your brazilian jiu-jitsu club is that correct you you're one of the head instructors yeah, I'm the head instructor of my program at my school. And and you have an affiliation with a judo club three hours away. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, yeah, it's really unorthodox. Um, but that's that's kind of how we decided to do it. Um, I'm not big on like the judo competition scene. I'm still registered with the USJA, I believe it is. Sure, it's a JA or JF. But um, I'm not big on competing. I just want to learn the techniques. So that's, that's what we do. Yeah. Well, it, I find this very fascinating because you're, you've touched on something that I've talked about a lot and, and maybe we'll get into this further on in, into this episode, you know, kind of the differences of Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and Judo and what makes one more su successful in the United States versus the other. And I've always made this argument that one of the things that Brazilian Jiu Jitsu gets right, uh, well, one of many, I should say, is affiliations and judo does not have a, a, affiliations not in the united states anyway and and i think it's 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 problematic for for people who want to get you know promoted to to higher ranks and and i i, I hate talking about judo rank because it automatically sounds like you know i i care so much about judo rank but what an affiliation to me for judo would do would be you have somebody that you could go to your own sensei let's just say that if you if you wanted to work on something specific and you are an instructor well you can go to somebody and get better do you, do you know what i mean cuz it's important oh absolutely for, yeah cuz it's important for you know the the guys that are out there that are nidan and maybe even sandan that that have their own clubs that they have a guy that they could go to that they could get promoted to to Yodan one day or or Yodan getting promoted to Godan because it seems like at least in my local area you got a couple of guys that are really high ranking and you know you in order to get promoted by them you have to be a part of their club and you have to give service to their club and and do all of that so that means if you've got your own club and and you're let's say a Nidon and and you know you want to get promoted to Sandan you you can't do it while being a club instructor you got to go to somebody else or somebody's got to sign off on it or or whatever the case may be it, it, there's no affiliations in judo and I I think that hurts judo and it will continue to hurt judo one of, one of the many things anyway I how, so it seems yeah, like the it, affiliation has helped you a bit get better at judo and help grow judo in your local area. Do I, do I have that right? Yeah, that's a hundred percent correct. Um, 
you know, Aaron and I, we had a lot of deep conversations. Uh, Rick as well. Uh, Rick is an old school national champion. He was doing judo. I wish I had it with me. He gave me a, a, a list of all his accomplishments. And he's been doing it, I think, since 73, if I remember correctly. He's been doing it a long time. And we, we talk about judo much in the same way that we talk about Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And it's an art. And it's also somewhat a lifestyle, depending on your commitment choice. Um, we, we don't necessarily view it as a sport. And I think when you have big like national governing bodies and you have the Olympics, and you have sponsors and stuff like that, it it, it makes kind of like a big barrier to entry to grow it just naturally. Like naturally, with or without a judo affiliation and judo ranks, I would still like throwing people with or without any of it. Maybe then I would just call myself Sambo, or I would just continue to call myself Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, but it doesn't stop the movements that I'm doing. I'm learning with or without it with or without an affiliation, it's just kind of like the icing on the cake that I get to also uh, have rank in the beautiful art and rank under the great gentleman that I know. Sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, You talked, you were just talking about a little bit about the, the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu lifestyle. Can you, for, for the benefit of, of my audience who may not really understand what that may mean, can you kind of give me your, your take on that? Yeah, I have two statements. One, I'm the worst person to ask about that, Dave, because I'm <laughs> I, I, I'm not a representative of it. And, and I, I, I understand I that, of course. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not from California. I don't eat acai. Uh, you know, I, I just like to grapple, and it just so happens that what I do is called Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. If I had went to a judo club that had more newaza, what I would be doing is then called judo, or maybe it'd be called sambo, or maybe it'd be called catch. And then my second statement is os. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's, that's great. Yeah. That, that, uh, <laughs> but there, you I know, can't stand that. <laughs> there, but there's, there, there's something about Os that I, I, I gotta say, you know, I, cause I, I've, I've talked about Os in the past, but there's something about Os that, that is, that it, that seems to be the tie that binds for a lot of clubs and for a lot of people. And it, it seems like judo, is missing some of that. It's missing that brotherhood aspect um, that seems to be found in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Now, when I make statements like this, I'm talking about my own personal experiences and observations in the United States. It could be very different in other countries. I don't know what it's like in the UK or in Australia or or in Japan or, or France or anything like that. Maybe there is a more a much more of a brotherhood feel to it, but um, seems to be a disconnect in terms of maybe not a disconnect, but it's, it's just not the same. And, and I think Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu as a whole has tapped into something that, that judo is completely missed out on. I agree. Um, I see it as Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is openly marketed as an art and that there's no formalities on it versus in judo. It, from what I understand, uh, again, you know, maybe I'm not the best person to even talk on judo, but from my understanding, it seems like a lot of places practice judo as a sport rather than an art. And that makes a big difference. It might just sound like jargon to some people, but to me, when you tell me a sport, I think of baseball and racquetball and football. I don't think of 
judo and Brazilian jiu-jitsu, I, I think of those as martial arts or I guess combat sports or combat arts is another way of looking at it. But those are two huge things. When you have something that's just a sport, you know, do you know many people who go and play club basketball that say basketball is a lifestyle? I don't. But I, I know a ton of Brazilian jiu-jitsu people that make it their life. And I think it's because they Brazilian jiu-jitsu markets it specifically as an art. They don't right. market it as a brotherhood or a sport. That Those are just aspects. It's an art. And I think judo needs to take a page of that. And they need to market it as an art rather than a sport. Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you on that. I I just think um, you know because it's that the subject of judo's growth is is a is is one that I find uh, very interesting. At least at least when to, in terms of the United States, and I, you know, we got three different organizations. I've I've re- you know I've talked about this before. In my last episode, I talked about um, you know the. the I, I hate to say the lack of, of quality coaching because I know there are plenty of sensei out there who do a great job uh, with their own clubs and such. But, y- you know, I don't think you have in the United States the amount of high quality coaches in judo that you see, that you seem to have in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I, I was just saying this the other day on a, on a, on a post in Reddit that just, just in Tampa alone, I could point to three guys, just three, three out of many Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu instructors, but three that would be considered like top-notch coaches. Um, I know, for one, Hobson Mora is is in Tampa. I mean, it's a big deal. You know, he's mm-hmm. he's won you know the IBJJF championships I think seven or eight times, some ridiculous number. I mean, he's it's a top guy. He's right in Tampa, uh, and you know we don't have that kind of pedigree. In, in many places in, in the United States for judo. Mm-hmm. It, uh, and I don't know why, to be honest with you. Um, it has to do somehow with marketing. Um, Brazilian jiu-jitsu can pick up a lot of people, not necessarily because it's proven for like its cage fighting merits, because judo is just as good for cage fighting. Uh, a lot of people don't realize it because it's not marketed for that. Yeah. Uh, but it's not it's not the cage fighting. I, I honestly think it's the fact that you'll see someone say that anyone can do Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And um, Mac and I, uh, I don't know if you've heard of Mac, but Mac's one of my co-hosts on my podcast a lot. And we always talk about how anyone can do Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but not anyone can do judo. And I don't mean that to slight either party, but the way that I look at it is that judo is scary if you've never done it. I mean, there's a reason why people stiffen up and stiff arm when you try to throw them during Rendori, especially if they're noobs. It's because it's very scary to get thrown. Whereas in jujitsu, um, you know, you you get put in an arm bar, a juji katami and it, you know, you just tap and it's done. Like nothing, it's real, but at the same time, it's not because your fight or flight doesn't kick in nearly as hard versus when someone throws you, man, my first time really getting thrown by a very talented judoka, I, I, I didn't know where I was. All I knew was I was trying to do something and now I'm thrown and I'm on the ground. I don't even realize I'm on the ground and he just landed on me and I have no air in my lungs. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, that that's difficult and that takes a lot of bravery to do. And, and I'm not trying to downplay Brazilian jiu-jitsu because it it has its things that judokas 
don't necessarily entertain either, like heel hooks and leg locks and neck cranks. But judo just inherently, it, it looks scary. If I show you a picture of someone getting swept uh, with like a scissor sweep from guard, it doesn't look that bad. Right. But if I show you a video of someone getting thrown with like a killer Uchimata, like Shoei Ono throwing people and they land on their head or like him yeah. posting on his head to throw other people, it, you're like, forget that, man. I like my <laughs> neck working the way it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When you said heel hook, and neck crank that even made me shudder over here because but and you're right because that type of stuff is extremely scary to me like i i uh i i can't remember the last time anybody tried a heel hook on me but i but um i don't remember who but i know when somebody did i i started immediately tapping because i just i i don't know i get very freaked out when it comes to to anything to do with the legs like actually like somebody did a knee bar if somebody would attempt a knee bar on me i, I wouldn't freak out as much but the heel hooks to me yeah, I, I think there's some techniques. Yeah, in heel hooks are devastating. Yeah, yeah, heel hooks are very devastating. Um, I let my white belts, if they're experienced white belts with a couple stripes on their belt, I'll let them knee bar and uh, ankle lock each other. But that's I don't mind because even though it's a leg attack, it, it's kind of a straight on thing that you kind of uh, either have or you don't. Right, right. And even for me, that doesn't freak me out at all. If somebody catches me, you know, like that. Um, I'm, I'm good with that. You know, I just tap out when it's appropriate to tap, but from what I understand the heel hooks, it's the damage starts happening before you really start feeling the pain. And at least that's yes. what I've always been told. So I, I well, just, let, let's do a, uh, sorry to cut you off. There, no, Dave, go right but ahead, I go want ahead. you to do an, ex, do a science experiment right now. Uh, take your index finger, grab the tip of your finger and bend it back. Okay. Stop when it begins to hurt. Okay. Yeah. Did you do it? You did it. And you stopped when it hurt, right? Yeah, yeah, right. Now, I want you to grab uh, your index finger and rather than twisting it back, I want you to twist, just twist it as if you're spiraling it, as if you're trying to spin it around, like you're trying to turn your finger around. You will break uh, all the tiny parts in your finger joints before you feel the pain. Boy. And that's how tw twisting leg locks work. That's really interesting because I'm doing I'm doing that right as you're telling me that and you're right I I know it doesn't hurt but I know that I would start doing real damage um, if I kept going. Yeah, that's how twisting leg locks work, and uh, it, it's really unfortunate. I was in a tournament once and I caught a guy in a toe hold, and he was a tough guy, man. He was a very tough gentleman. And he had very good jujitsu. I just happened to be the better guy in that match. It was a double elimination. And he actually beat me in the first match. But then I won all my other ones. And he lost one. So we ended up getting matched up again. And this time I won. And I ended up breaking his ankle. Not in the way that like he has a sprained ankle. I felt his ankle break in my hands. And it made the sound of a Gatorade bottle popping. It, oh, it, man. And it's all... Be yeah. And, and you know, it all comes from that concept that... It's not like an arm bar or Juji Katami where you just, it's on and you feel it. It's got that twist in there. And a lot of times, if you've got a little bit of adrenaline, it's going to break before you even know it's broken. It, it, it's devastating. It, it's insane. Oh, that's, that's awful. Yeah, yeah. I, I shudder just even thinking about that. So let's continue that train of thought because you, you, know, you said in those instances, just tap. Something that I've wanted to get um, your opinion on. It, it, it's a conversation that, that I initially had with my friend, uh, Judo Joe, 
um, months back off the air. We should have had this conversation on the air, but since I haven't had a chance to bring him back on, I'm going to ask you, and I'll, I'll get his perspective the next time I have him on. Joe, if you're listening, a couple weeks, man, and, and we'll get together and, and record an episode. I definitely want you on. But why do you think defending the belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu is, is, is such a big deal and getting tapped out by a lower belt is seems like a much bigger deal in Brazilian jiu-jitsu than judo? It's it, it's a lo- it's a lot of different things. Um, you have to look at it first from a timeline point of view. So could uh, or rather should a white belt in judo throw a black belt in judo, even by like a random fluke? Should that fluke ever really happen? All things being equal, all things being equal, no, that shouldn't happen. Now, now you okay. get you get a you know an, you get an athletic twenty. 20 year old who's who's just got extreme balance going against somebody like me who's who's trying to take it easy you you know and and they catch me that that can happen yeah it shouldn't mm-hmm. i mean that that's a rare thing but no all things being equal that should not happen yeah uh, uh until i change it let's just assume that all things are equal here sure okay um, so all thing all things being equal uh an orange belt probably still won't throw a showdown okay um, right you know, in let's just face it, black belt is seen as like at least a high level of competency and somewhat mastery of the art by the Western society. So sure. we look at that in judo, and by the time you get a black belt in judo, it's probably I'd, I'd imagine where there's almost uh you're seeing people as peers. I mean, even like brown belts and up in judo probably see each other as peers, whereas those lower Caillou ranks are likely seen as very much beginners until they get to Sankyu or Nikyu Ikyu Shodan. Uh, so Judo's timeline is a lot shorter to become a peer of a high, uh, a high level practitioner versus if we flip the script and look at jujitsu again, all things being equal. If I'm a white belt and you're a black belt, okay, I could have, I could be a two year white belt, and I'll probably still never touch you as a black belt because in a, as a black belt, you've been doing it for so long that the at minus will be like a Sandan or a Godan, I'd imagine, in judo. Right. Um, so th- there's a big discrepancy there because in judo, it's easier to become a peer versus in, in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, it's much more difficult to become a peer. And let's be honest, you're going to let your peers throw you or submit you and you'll feel more comfortable doing that. Okay, so that's kind of my point one is that jujitsu's timeline to earn that mastery rank where you're a brown or a black belt, it's unbelievably long. So you see people defending stuff tooth and nail. That's my first point. Right. But my second point is that a blue belt should, again, all things being equal, should beat a white belt. Purple should beat the blue belt easily. There's a big gap there in Nawaza skills. Right. And then brown and black should again defeat them. All things being equal, they should absolutely defeat them. Uh, especially on the ground. Because as you know from your jiu-jitsu experience and your judo experience, when you're on the ground, it's so much easier to apply leverage. If yeah. someone is 300 pounds, I'm more likely to submit them on the ground than I am to ip on them during Rindori standing Tachiwaza. 
so that that ground skill level and the ability to apply leverage is vastly different uh, I, i'm not saying that jujitsu is better than judo but what i am saying is that newaza ground techniques allow for more technical discrepancies versus standing techniques when you're comparing it in terms of ability to apply them if someone is six foot ten I'm probably never going to be able to uchimata them, Dave. I'm five foot eight on a good day. I cannot uchimata that person. Uh, right. But if that six foot ten person is on the ground, I should be able to beat them every single time. To to be honest with you, if I'm as long as I'm that much better than them, I should be able to beat them. I don't care if they're six foot ten. If if they are on their back and I get on top and I have them in side control or mount or back mount, I should be able to beat them every single time. Uh, so we're not really comparing apples to apples. When we ask this stuff about defending the belt. Um, so that's my second point. And my third point is that, again, I'm not trying to be done judo at all because I love judo. I have a lot of fun with it. Sure. But a, th- a throw, although 100% effective and although more likely to kill you than a submission, doesn't feel real especially on tatami, especially with proper break falling, especially with like a Denver floating floor. You don't even notice a throw. Even if it's a throw that would have killed you, because we're throwing in a way that we want to protect our partners and just get an ip on, it doesn't feel devastating in the same way that this person is behind me applying a rear naked choke. I can't breathe. I'm slowly going black. I need to tap or I will literally die. Yeah, 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 right. Yeah, you know, it's more... I don't even like to say BJJ and judo. It's more just tachiwaza versus newaza or standing versus ground, depending on who's listening to this. Um, just ground submissions feel more real than a throw. I'm not saying they are. Uh, I don't want anyone to be confused with that, but they feel more real. They feel more devastating. And all of those three things combined is why Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioners defend the belt. Um, but then again, it comes down to the person. See, whereas uh, I'm with Mr. Mike Ellison, and he he's checked me before. He's told me, hey, Cody, uh, you're too aggro. You're trying too hard to win. Focus less on scoring an arm bar and more on letting the person out of the arm bar and then seeing what you can do with that. And th- that has helped me grow not only as a jiu-jitsu practitioner and grappler, but also as a person because it, it it's taught me to just have some humility and just kind of like let go. Of it. I, I don't want to say erase the ego because I don't necessarily stand behind that, but the idea that you do need to experiment and have some humility and you don't always have to win. Um, yeah, things are... I'm an anomaly, Dave. I, I, I'm kind of in my own little like bubble sure. versus everyone else. Uh so I have a different perspective on Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and Judo. For for example, I have a blue belt who trains with me uh, named Mike. Yeah. Uh, he did wrestling for a long time and he did uh, MMA for a long time. And he also, he did some kind of like grappling karate. I don't remember what it was, but he had some kind of grappling from karate. So he had those three things going for him. And he is just athletically very gifted. He can do the splits, but he can also bench press probably 345. He's amazing. And he's not even a big person. And the first time that I ever rolled with Mike, he came into my gym on a nogi night. And I could tell that he didn't really know Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, but this guy knew how to grapple. And then at one point, I got too comfortable. The guy took my back. 
He couldn't quite finish the way he wanted to, so he switched to a bulldog choke. Do you know what that is? No, uh, I'm not sure what that is. I've never heard of it. Okay. Um, gosh, imagine a rear naked choke. Uh, imagine I'm in turtle and you have a rear naked choke on me, but instead of finishing with your hooks in, you take your hooks out and you run your hips into my ear, almost kind of like you're doing a, a clock choke from turtle, but instead you have a rear naked choke grip. Oh, wow. He okay. caught me. Yeah. Yeah. It, you don't see it a lot in Brazilian jujitsu, but when you do see it, it works. Yeah. And he caught me in that. And here's this guy who has never done Brazilian jujitsu. He's only done MMA. Uh, He's never trained in the gi. He doesn't even own a gi. And he's tapping me. You better believe I tapped out. And he ended up being one of my best training partners ever. Um, a, a lot of it just comes down to the person. I have a white belt. Granted, he was a Division three wrestler. Uh, but he's a white belt nonetheless. He never trained any judo, no jiu-jitsu. And I was sleeping on him when he was trying to pass my guard the other day, Dave. He yep. snapped on an ankle lock so quick. I had to tap or I was going to go home in crutches. And yeah. I tapped and I gave it to him. I've been doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu literally every day for years, sometimes twice a day. And I, I just had to tap, man. I, I mean, some gyms exercise the idea that you can't tap to a lower belt. And, you know, physics are physics. You apply enough pressure, something's going to break. Uh, you, you can't have that if you want to train for the rest of your life. So although I think that higher belts should be better than lower belts i don't see anything wrong with tapping when you get caught no matter who it is that catches you yeah i i'm with you it, it's a really interesting perspective you, you're providing there um yeah i i've never heard anybody ever say that that uh, brazilian jiu-jitsu uh you know feels more dangerous i'm just thinking about what you said a couple minutes ago and Mm -hmm. that's a really interesting I agree with that I, I, I it feels more real in, in that sense and, and then you know when you're dealing with you know you know in this example you're talking about with that you know getting past guard and then with the ankle lock like it, it doesn't the belt doesn't matter at that point you're you you're you're caught in period the end you you got to tap out of your like you said you're going in crutches it's a really mm -hmm. interesting perspective. Uh, an interesting perspective for me because I, I've, I've not heard it put in, in quite in those terms before. So, very cool. So, when it comes to a value, so let's say you know this student of yours, he catches you. He, he happened to catch you. Whatever one one of those one time fluke things. How do you personally evaluate students whether they're ready for the next? rank whether that's a stripe or a blue belt and if if there's any blue belts in your club how would they how would they make it to purple belt what would be that process for them um you know it, it, it's a couple of different things uh first off i have a curriculum um you do okay and you have to know the curriculum it, it get yeah yeah um it, it's not like a mcdojo curriculum where it's like know the curriculum and get the belt no no not at all but i see it as a bar none benchmark for example if, if someone's getting a showdown they, they should have pro probably the nage no kata uh down pretty well right in judo right right right, right. i'm I, I, at right. least okay. or, um, or have equivalent experience you know or something yes yeah yeah, like a, a Shodan or even a Sankyu. A Sankyu shouldn't look at a Hurai Goshi and say, what's that? Um, in yeah. the same way that I have tests where I want to see 
X amount of techniques from this position, show me this lock flow, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but, but then on top of it, it, it again, it, it's so similar to judo. They're, they're, they're like the same martial art, man. Uh, if something doesn't feel right, you just know it's not right. Like if I go with you, let's say you and I are both testing for a shodan or say we're both testing for a nidan. For whatever reason, I go straight from EQ to nidan and you're yeah, going from yeah, shodan yeah. to nidan. Um, if someone watches us throw, we might both know how to do a harai goshi, but I guarantee, Dave, that you're going to know all of these small little things with harai goshi that even if they look exactly the same, you're probably more likely to get it in rendori and trick people into falling into it. You're going to know more entries to it. it. It's just one of those things where if it just smells like crap, it's probably crap. Right. Um, you see this exact same thing in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I mean, you could probably show me a Kimura, Americana, a straight arm lock, a razor lock, an omoplata, all these different things from different positions. But if you're on top of me, I'm going to be able to tell the difference. It, yeah. It's one of those yeah. things where you just you you just can't lie. Like, for example, if you and I do some Nawaza work, I, I bet you probably have a good like Yoko Kamishiho Katami. You probably have a great case Katami. If you put me in those... I'm probably going to feel very uncomfortable versus if a day one guy puts me in those, even if he knows how to do them and on paper, it looks just like the way you do them, Dave, right. I guarantee he's not going to make me feel the way that you do. He's not going to crush me. Um, so that's the second part. So we have the curriculum. We have the fact that you actually have to be able to roll with me and show that you know what you're doing. And then on top of it, um, I require almost everyone to compete at least once. Um, I don't see the point in having ranks if you don't want to either compete or teach. What's the point? You right. don't need a rank if you don't want to compete or teach, to, to be honest. I mean, I'll still uh, – th th there's exclusions to this. Um, for example, I have a 73-year-old guy who's on my mats, and he puts in the work. and He gets the techniques. You better believe I'm going to give him rank, and I'm not going to make him compete. But you know, if you're 30 years old and you don't have any – like medical circumstance that would stop, stop you from competing if you want a blue belt i'm going to make you compete to earn one unless you've unless of course you're of course an anomaly who's been wrestling since he was four years old and does judo or, or whatever uh th then you already kind of prove yourself but yeah I, I want people to compete and know what it's like if they want to earn rank otherwise there's no point in having the rank if you don't want to teach or compete and then the, the fourth one is i, I don't I, I will not give rank to people who aren't good people. Like if, if yeah. they're whiny or they're jerks, it's like, you know, some people don't like that where like you have to judge someone's character to give them rank. But hey, man, if I'm putting my name on this, they're going to they're probably not going to be doing jujitsu with me their entire life. They're going to go do jujitsu with someone else. And now my name's attached to them. If they're a jerk. Who's to say I'm not a jerk by affiliation? Um, so it, it's a really big deal that you need to you, you need to be my friend, and we need to be good people to earn a rank and things. You know, th those four things together is how I grade my students. And, and if you ever wanted to go through curriculum sometime um, to test your own Nawaza knowledge, uh, I, I'd love to send it to you. It, it's really fun. It's pretty neat. And uh, I, I've lent it to a lot of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu coaches for like stripe curriculums and stuff like that. Yeah, I would be very interested in that. Now, I, I want to continue on this path with the curriculum. Is this something mm -hmm. that you created on your own? Did you get this from um, the instructor that you're affiliated with? 
uh, because I I think curriculums are great, and I I think curriculums are, now is this curriculum that you have something that your students know about, or, or is this something you kind of keep in the back of your mind that on how you evaluate a student? I have this uh, the actual curriculum. Uh, written and documented. The way that it's developed is I just write stuff down and then if I want to implement it into my program, I clear it with Mike Ellison first because uh, he is my affiliate head and sure. he's the one giving out rank. I, I, I'm not giving out blue belts as a purple belt so just to kind of put that out there. I'm not doing that. Uh, okay, Mike Ellison okay, I wasn't sure. all these ranks. Yep, yeah, yeah. He clears everything. Um, he doesn't want me giving... He, he, uh, I should take that back. I stripe white belts um, but that's not that big of a deal just a strike that's not yeah but yeah for, I, I agree yeah right. for an actual rank it's through mike and uh you know mike and i he wasn't my original brazilian jiu-jitsu instructor um i was a, with a different association at first but then i ended up uh, uh moving and i couldn't travel to their gym anymore so then i just kind of did my own thing and i met mike through a mutual friend and we just hit it off and man uh we've been pals for years now and it's it's really great it's kind of funny because i came to him as a blue belt and i was a really good blue belt uh i, I don't want to sound cocky or anything dumb like that but i, I was doing good I, I had tapped out uh purple belts and brown belts no black belts yet um but i was doing very well and here's what mike made me do and, and this is how i knew that i really wanted to be a part of his affiliation because he had me learn his purple belt curriculum he watched my competitions um, and then also he had me uh, do a lot of sparring with his tenured students. So his purple belts, his brown belts, because again, it comes down to those things where if it's, if it smells like crap, it's probably crap. So yeah. he did a lot of work with me and watched me go with his students. So him and I, we're, man, we're on the same page. It's fantastic. That's, that's really cool. Cause I, I think, um, most of the clubs, even even with with the club that I was at the, for the longest, um, I never really had a curriculum, and and I think I think curriculums are important. Yeah. I, I not, and again, like you said before, not not in the way that maybe Taekwondo does it or or other types of striking arts where you have to know this 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 and this. But I think for students and for instructors to have a curriculum, you you have a a, a path defined as to where your students need to be at, at a bare minimum. And I, I know mm -hmm. that I know the judo organizations, they have recommended guidelines for rank and such, but to, to have a curriculum where, you know, a curriculum for, for certain groups of people that maybe last the entire year. So if, so if a new person comes into the club, well, they just pick up where everybody else is at the curriculum. I, I don't know if that's the best way to go about it, but but or, or maybe every student has their own individual curriculum, you know, that that's followed off of a template or something. But I I, I think curriculums are great. I, I think that's a really, really cool thing that you're doing. Um, yeah, I like to think of it uh, kind of like a roadmap. You know, uh, I can I can give you a map and I recommend you follow it if you want to get to your destination. But at the same time, you're the one who has to get behind the wheel and do it. You're the one who has to go fill up the gas. You're the one who has to drive on the terrain. You're the one who has to do it. Um, the thing that I like about the curriculums too is that it creates a standard. And again, it's not in a mcdojo way. I have white belts who have been white belts for years and have well over 400 classes. And yeah. they're still white belts because maybe they're not getting the competition results that we want. Or maybe maybe they 
don't have a good enough guard and I want them to have a better guard or maybe I want their stand-up to be better, whatever it is. Um, I, I try to – I also like the curriculum because I want it to be just transparent. Like, for example, I had one gentleman and he's a really nice guy, but he was – he had um, tapped some smaller students who outranked him. And one day uh, someone came to me and said, hey, you know – so-and-so says that you need to rank them up. And I said, really? Like, they feel like they deserve it? And he's like, yeah, he, he's tapping so-and-so, and he feels like he's ready. And I honestly was fine with it. Uh, just, yeah. you know, it's like, okay, well, let, let's get out the curriculum book and let's go through it and let's see where you're at. I mean, it, it sounds like you're effective, so let's just see what you know, because I don't want you to just be good at doing one thing. I want you to represent the art and know a couple different things. No, no top game, no guard, no Koshiwaza and no Ashiwaza. You kind of got to know it all. So I put the guy to the test and he ended up passing in the long run. But in the short run, when I tested him, he failed. Yeah. Later on, he got it and he did great, um, but he failed. But it was kind of a good learning moment because it was an opportunity for me to see exactly where he was. And it was also an opportunity for see, to, to see his own shortcomings. He was a big guy. He had a great Kazuri case of Katami and he could tap a lot of people from there and they couldn't get out. But he didn't understand guard at all. He, he couldn't regard to save his life. So, for right. example, if someone just would continually transfer between Kamishiho and Yoko Kamishiho and Kazuri in there as well, he wouldn't be able to get up because he can only get up if he goes to his belly. So if you kept him pinned or, heaven forbid, you were a bigger person, he couldn't get up. And in right. my opinion, that's not what grappling is about. That's not. That's definitely not what Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is about. So yeah, that's what why I really like having just a benchmark standardized curriculum. It, it makes it transparent for everyone. So if any, anyone ever complains, let's even the playing field. Let's just look at it together and see if I'm wrong because I, I'm only human. And even if I try to make myself out to be this demigod Brazilian jiu-jitsu instructor, I'm super <laughs> valuable to mistakes. And recently I had to rank up someone, um, put a couple stripes on their white belt because I didn't rank them... I didn't realize this, but they only come once a week. Sometimes I'm not there on the nights that they're there. Yeah. And they had gone, I think, like almost an entire year without getting any stripes on their white belt. And this person was giving like our tenured white belts and like early blue belts a little bit of trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, so it it gets overlooked and the, the test just standardizes it and makes it clear and concise on what's going on. Yeah, I think that's great. Like you were talking earlier about the transparency of uh, of what you need for the next rank and such. I can tell you right now, you, you know, and I, I, I would like to be, uh, I would like to be need on at some point over the next year or two. I, I've said that really for the past year or so. To tell you the truth, I've got no idea what that means. I've got no idea what if I wanted to get promoted to need on. I don't know how good I need to be. I I don't know. You know, at my age, actually, I'm, I've been working out in the gym uh, over the past several months um, in preparation to, because I do want to do a couple of competitions, just just low, you know, local type stuff. But I feel I oh, need nice. to, I feel like I need to be in better shape, um, in order to do. I I I need to be as strong as I can be, and I and I I mean I I can't I mean at 
I would be competing at 66 kilos, but but I have to do masters because, you know, 20 year olds at at that weight division they're just too fast. I, I can't I can't keep up anymore. I'm a slow guy, but 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 you know I don't know, you know, if I need to compete for a Nidon. I don't know if I need to. I don't know what I need to do if I were to get promoted to Nidon. I've got no idea. I I don't know if my, you know, if I got to do a certain kata. I know there's there's recommendations from the national governing body but um that's that's usa judo with my club and okay there's a couple other governing bodies so it's you know it's kind of like well gosh what you know without that transparency without it being really defined i've got no idea it's really up to the whim of whatever somebody feels like it which you know again i'm I'm not i'm not getting hung up on rank i'm just putting that out there but um yeah well, you almost shouldn't a little bit because you plan on spreading and teaching the art. And if you want to teach the art and represent the art, it makes it very difficult if you can't ever level up. If you can't ever help people, like you, you technically, you could give out a showdown, but it, it'd be ill-advised. So you really can't give out a showdown. E- even if you're the best teacher in the world, Dave, you can't do it because... Why, you know, because you're not allowed to have this arbitrary secondary rank, you know, it it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and as a matter of fact, when it comes to, I don't know about the other organizations, but for USA Judo, um, you you have to be a Sandan in order to promote the Shodan. So, and I think at my Mm. current rank, the highest I could could promote anybody to is is uh, Sankyu, I think Sankyu or Nikyu. So, y- you yeah, know, w- without w- uh, you know, without I, an effort from the organizations to get some of their more. Now, I'm not talking about guys like me. There's there's guys that have been in judo for you know 20, 25 years that are only a Nidan, mm-hmm. and, and they're much better than that. But they've they w- without getting those guys promoted, you you end up in a system where over time. You've just end up with a bunch of Shodan and Nidan. You've got no higher ranked people, and nobody can get higher ranked. It, it, that's that's the long term effects without without a process that gets people promoted. You, you know, and mm-hmm. it drives me crazy because again, I a, a lot of people say, "Oh, don't don't worry about promotions. They come this and that." But I'm not I'm not worried about promotions. But judo and Brazilian jiu jitsu have a a rank system and if there's going to be a system in place then then there needs to be a means to increase rank within that system just like in any job if there's promotions to be had to move up you it's what you work for you you, you know um and if if there isn't then then just get rid of the ranking system altogether and just have coach and student and, and that's it yeah, um, that's an issue. Uh, you also commented on that year with USA Judo. Um, I find it crazy. Uh, again, I don't know a lot about the politics, but I find it crazy that they don't have some kind of advisory curriculum. Um, I looked it up real quick while you were talking, and it, it is the USJA that I'm affiliated with uh, yeah. under Rick and Aaron. And the, the neat thing about this, too, is... Uh, when I first affiliated with them back in January, when we made it official, they gave me the the grading book for the USJA, and it's really nicely outlined. Uh, it still kind of makes it subjective uh, on what techniques you, you would kind of like splinter out and be into. Yeah. But the USJA really defines what each rank should know. For example, from the um, 
the the gokyo nawaza that that's the that's all the judo techniques right the gokyo is the 40 the 40 techniques yeah that's not every single technique but that's the 40 throws where they're broken up into five groups okay uh so so for example i, I remember this i had it pulled up here a uh, a shodan under the usja should know 30 of them very well and, and then it it, it, it's very long, so I'm not going to go through the whole thing. But it talks sure. about how you should have an attack uh, for if they're rotating to your... If you guys are rotating to your left, okay, so you're moving counterclockwise, you should have an attack that covers all eight um, directions of Kizushi. And then that should also be applied for if you rotate clockwise. And then you, rot and then you go back, you go forward, you go side to side instead of rotating. It, it's really, really in depth right and it's very objective you know uh and then again it it um you have that built-in bs meter as well where if you get thrown by someone you can tell if they're if someone's just taking the fall or how good they really are sure sure sure, sure yeah. absolutely yeah the usa judo they they don't have anything on their site but they they delegate that stuff to the states at the state level so i know you know florida judo incorporated they they have a promotion you know a, a an outline so to say, but but really, a lot of the instructors don't follow that outline. They they kind of do their own thing. It seems anyway. But yeah, uh, it's just crazy to think that you don't have a goal. I mean, you have a goal, but you don't have an outline on how to get better. Uh, to me, from learning anything, that seems crazy. Look, we we need a path for, especially the the sandan, um, out there. That what's their path to get to yodan? Y Yodan's an important rank to me. That that. You you gotta have you gotta increase the number of fourth degree black belts in the United States because um, there's not a whole lot. A lot of people end up quitting at Shodan and and sometimes they make it to Nidan and that's about as far as they go. And I I just think we, we need you know if if there's a system there it needs to be used. So I want to talk about an email I received, and I I mentioned this earlier in oh, not earlier I mentioned this in my last episode talking about it, an email actually it was a voicemail that I received from Christian who's been a longtime listener I interviewed him um, earlier in the year. He brought up this idea of Nawaza only tournaments in judo. Now when I say Nawaza only tournaments. What do you envision, Cody? It, it, what do you think that would look like? I honestly think it would look like a Sambo tournament. Like a Sambo? In, in what way? Because I've, I've never really watched a Sambo tournament. I thought they started oh. standing up. Yeah, um, my apologies there. Uh, one, um, any grappling. Uh, I heard you say standing up. Any grappling tournament, whether it's jujitsu or... Sambo or Judo should start standing. Uh, th that's where combat begins. And Sambo, the way they do it is it's similar to Judo, except they allow more Nawaza and they don't give so many points for the ground, but they don't restrict uh, what you can do on the ground. Essentially, the way it is, is that you get... Now, I, I can be wrong. Uh, I'm not a Sambo expert, but from what I've seen, it looks like you get three uh, scores for throws. You can either get a low takedown, which would be like a double leg, a single leg, or like a bad throw. Um, and then you can get a high throw. Uh, this would be something that maybe is close to an Ippon, but it's not quite there. And then you can also get an Ippon in Judo uh, in Sambo, but it's called something else. I was talking with Vlad Kolokov about it. I, 
he said something Russian and he lost me. But uh, I haven't listened to that yet. I, I will listen to that episode. I haven't listened to it yet. It looks very interesting. Oh, it's good. He's such a cool guy. Yeah. Um, but I, you, you can get an Ippon and Sambo, but you have to stay standing, which I think is cool because it comes back to real effectiveness. How effective wow. is my throw if I have to follow him to the ground? You shouldn't have to follow him to the ground. If it's I... an Ippon, which is a total victory, you should be able to stay standing. Sorry, I kind of wow. ran over you there, but yeah. No, no, no. That That's really interesting. I didn't know that. <laughs> I think there's a lot to be said for, for finishing throws while you're still standing and they're on the ground. I think there's a lot to be said about that. Um, I, I mean, in terms of, you know, that's a superior demonstration of technique when you can do that, you know, and not and not roll through and stuff. I know judo, comp, you know, competition judo is very different, but but um, that's interesting. I didn't know that about Samba. I, I can't wait to listen to that episode. Um, it's neat. There's also Osei Komi, too. Uh, just to add that there, there is. you can. Yeah, you, you can't win by Osei Komi. You cannot get an Ippon by Osei Komi, but you, you can uh, use it to rack up points. Yeah, so so Christian sent me the a document in a, in a in a video that outlines some of the Nawaza only judo tournaments um, that that he's interested in competing in. And, and and guys, I'm not ripping on anybody that does the tournaments. I'm not ripping on anybody that that runs the tournaments. I I I don't. If if that's your thing, hey, go right ahead and do it. I just want to share an opinion. I I I don't know what the advantage is to having a judo uh nawaza only tournament if so in christian's document from what i read you start off on the ground you 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 basically okay yeah you get to the middle and you're on your knees you you get to so what did it say here fighters will bow in a standing position to enter the mat area fighters move toward the center of the fighting area and kneel down from a two meter distance the fighters will bow and then they'll move up to a one knee high kneeling stance at one meter distance and then the uh the fighter in white is at the right side of the referee so when the ref calls hajime essentially you're you're on one knee and you're crawling toward <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's what Brazilian jiu-jitsu is going to be in five years. You know that, right? <laughs> I, I, I am so. So they, they, yeah, they get to each other, right? And and then apparent. So, so with the pawn, <laughs> uh, any pawn, they they have a point scoring system, and the pawn is twenty points. So if you get a yep. choke or an arm bar, that's twenty points. If you get if you hold an osaikomi for ten seconds. You get seven points, but I don't know if the Osai because this is a this is the thing that the document didn't answer whether the Osai Komi accumulates. So if you no, get an Osai Komi uh, for seven points, and then they break you up, they 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 stop, or you pass the, or, or somebody sweeps you, let's say, but then you get that Osai Komi back, and they sweep you again, and you get it back for another ten seconds. Well, that's twenty one points. So does that mean that you win that match? Um, first one of twenty points wins. Yeah, so so it would seem that you could theoretically get a, a pawn after holding them, holding your opponent down a th on three separate occasions for ten seconds on each occasion. So it seems you get a, a wazari for two points if you pass. You get two points for passing the guard and uh, and let's see, Osai Komi to three to nineteen seconds. Uh, I didn't quite see the points for the back mounts, the back control sweeps. Um, it's two points. 
two points. Yeah, so it's all two points. So you could, I guess you could sweep, take the back, you know, go outside, call me. You could get, I I suppose you could accumulate a, a amount of points for doing various things on the ground. But but here's the thing to me is I don't understand what the advantage is here. I could I could appreciate this a lot more if they had you start off standing and any throws yeah. that you do, they just don't count for a score at all. It's just mm-hmm. you're you you use throws for a tactical advantage. To to me, no, I think that would be a lot more interesting. No, no. Because that then you just have people only doing things that can score them points. So therefore people would completely neglect Tachiwaza because it doesn't score them points. Uh, so throws judo. If let's just say judo hypothetically followed this rule set, yeah, Tachiwaza would become non-existent. No one would care because it doesn't earn you points, and you can't win from it. Uh, that that's the problem with it. So you, you could never say throw, and it's not worth anything. That that's the problem with. Uh, I'm gonna go off here a little bit, but that's the problem with submission only tournaments. They don't value. Uh, positions in submission only tournaments or, or matches rather they, right. they only value the submission so what you'll see is you'll see people allow their opponent to mount them so that they can pop into a leg lock and heel hook them uh which interesting also doesn't sound yeah it, it, like see, that's meta, an angle i never the, thought of before yeah the meta changes drastically w- when you restructure everything according to points um that's why i really like sample with the high throw low throw the Ippon style throw where you have to stay standing. But then you also have the Osei Komi, and then obviously you can win uh, by submission. Um, but but to build on this Niwaza tournament, they don't allow any kind of leg locks at all, um, which I, I understand Judo doesn't have leg locks, but if you're going to engage on the ground and you want to say that like there's an advanced division, you need to have leg locks. It's a big yeah. part of the body. Um, I, yeah, I, I don't ag- agree with that at all. Um, I, I think the, the, the bigger part too, is, is that if you read these rules, uh, maybe you can post it for your listeners somewhere, but if you read these, these through these rules as a Brazilian jujitsu guy, what these rules end up becoming minus one detail is a white belt competition in the white belt competition in Brazilian jujitsu. You get points for a takedown. You get points for your position. And you can only attack the waist up. And you can't neck crank or spine lock. Right. That the, the, These rules are a white belt Brazilian jiu-jitsu competition. Minus one detail that I think is amazingly fascinating. And do you know what that detail is, Dave? What's that? Getting points for escaping. And I'll tell you why. In Brazilian jiu-jitsu... Dave, you can pass my guard in a competition and I'll know that I'm down three points or two points if it's no gi, three points in the gi. And I'm down those points. But I'm not going to really try to escape because there's no AC Colby points and there's also no incentive for me to get up. When you add in me getting points for getting up and escaping... Not only does it give me an incentive to get out to try and narrow that gap from you passing my guard and scoring points for it, but it also makes the sport resemble the martial art because you are now emphasizing not sitting there 
Ilio Gracie style and trying to tire out your opponent. No, 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 no. Because in real right. life, they hit your head until you die and then you're dead. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You're now emphasizing in an escape. And martial arts are about escapes and regaining a dominant position. Uh, this would be under a Wazari in its stipulation number five, where it says Uke escapes out of bounds or stands up from Shime Kensatsu Waza. Uh, so I interpreted that as getting points for escaping. Maybe I'm wrong, but I hope I'm not because I think Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Sambo, and Judo should take a book out of American wrestling and give people points for escaping. It doesn't have to be a lot because you don't want people baiting positions that are good at escaping. But yeah, it should be yeah. enough to incentivize you to get up and get out. And it keeps it real because guess what, Dave? If you get mount on me or you get side control on me, and I can't get out. In the sport, you get Osekomi. In real life, you hit me until you decide to stop. Right. And that's the one part I really liked about these rules. Yeah, that that's an that's an interesting uh, point that I didn't really uh, you know consider because you're you're really looking at this from a different angle, and I, I appreciate your your viewpoint on it. I I, I don't I. I I guess my only thing is I I appreciate that they are trying to do something different. And this is this is not these are more localized tournaments. I don't think there is going to be some kind of a national movement to have Nawaza only tournaments. Certainly the IJF would not ever do such a thing. At least I don't think. Um you never know with them, but uh, I don't I can't ever envisioning anything like this happening, but um I, I guess I was taken a little bit aback by 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 the starting off on the knees. That one just um, I, I don't like that one bit because because I even Brazilian Jiu Jitsu starts starts on your feet, you know. Yeah, and that's an art based on ground submissions, and they still start standing. They they Absolutely. and they still another, start standing, right? Another so thing I, I didn't like on this. Yeah, uh, go ahead. One more thing though, Dave. Um, in this rule book, I don't know why this would be allowed. Um. But it says that you are allowed to jump into full guard. That is a good. Uh, have you ever seen someone jump closed guard on a standing opponent, Dave? I have. It, it can be. Uh, you could probably injure somebody that way. I, I've I've only had somebody do it to me once. Um, usually, I've seen I've seen people pull guard, but not you know jumping guard is 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 been rare for me anyway. Yeah, th- this tournament allows jumping guard. I don't know if they mistook it for pulling guard, but if you jump guard, like jump closed guard on a standing opponent, there's a good chance that your lower body attaches to them with your bottom legs wrapping around. Um, But your upper body, if you don't do it correctly, your upper body swings like a pendulum into their knees. Yeah. Uh, I've seen a lot of people have torn ACLs from this, from someone penduling their body into someone's knee, not meaning to, they just want to jump guard. But I think jumping guard should be something reserved for brown and black belts in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu or a very advanced model for the judo crowd. Sure. Sure. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Well, Cody, I appreciate your perspective. I appreciate you coming on, on this podcast. This has been a lot of fun for me. I, um, you, you, uh, yeah, you brought a very refreshing perspective and, and, um, and just just angle on things. You you surprised me a little bit, believe it or not. Just um, I I don't know. I I guess I never I wasn't sure what I was going to expect because we never really had a a conversation like this before. But um, 
But I appreciate your time and coming on here and, and expressing yourself so eloquently. I, I'm very impressed. Oh, well, thank you, Dave. It's been a pleasure. All right, Cody, It's it's been great having you on. And um, we'll definitely keep in touch and we'll, we'll, we'll do this again in the future for sure. No question about it. Now, for those of you who've made it this far, wanted to let you know if you think that interview ended abruptly. We ended up having a, a very nice conversation afterwards. We talked about his favorite Tinder dates. Uh, we talked about his time uh, when he was in the carnival circuit. And we also had an interesting conversation about the time that he got into a fight with Hoist Gracie in the, in the streets of uh, Green Bay, Wisconsin. But unfortunately, his audio kind of dropped out. So there's really, I, I hate, I hated to cut that out, but I don't, I don't know what happened on his end, but, but, um, it was simply audio that I could not use. So, you know, Cody, in the future, if you want to talk about uh, those things next time you're on, uh, I'd love to revisit those items again and, and have the listeners enjoy those stories. I also forgot to mention it, but you can find the Cody Jitsu podcast on Google Play, SoundCloud, YouTube, and iTunes. Just do a search for Cody Jitsu, and you'll be able to hear his his excellent podcast. He he talks about topics uh, in grappling that I don't think anybody else covers in in such a comprehensive way. Um, just recently, he had a guest for uh, a, a guest who teaches sambo, and and most recently he had a uh, a guest, uh, the world champion of Shui Jiao, which is a Chinese wrestling based system very similar to judo it looks similar to judo a lot of techniques are similar but there, there are some obvious differences in terms of how points are scored and such it's a very interesting interview i i, I did manage to listen to that uh as i'm doing the editing you know post co-host uh episode here so i highly recommend you listen to those episodes and everything that that he's done so far he's, he's had some uh very nice conversations on his podcast But for me in this hideous podcast, I would like to end things now. So as usual, I hope you have a great day. I hope you have a great rest of the week. Train hard. Stay safe out there. And until next time, I'm out. Gangnam Style.